the questions we wanted to consider today is, is, did Jesus die on the cross? And then on Sunday, we want to take a look at, did he rise from the dead? I, I think too many of us have just almost assumed that, but I don't know how many have really examined that. Some, I would say, have, and I just felt like it'd be worthwhile as we celebrate this Easter weekend that we really land on those truths. And so I want to walk through some uh, different ways that we can look at how it is that we can know that Jesus died on the cross. And the reason is, and the reason this matters so much, is, is because if he didn't die on the cross, then Christianity is a hoax. But on the flip side of that, if he did, we should be all in. <laughs> so may we land on that truth today, and may we know either it's a hoax or we're all in because it happened. As Paul would say, that we, are, we have access to that same resurrection power. So may we pursue that. So where I want to start, Lee Strobel, he does a wonderful job talking about the death of Jesus on the cross in his book, The Case for Christ. We have kind of smaller versions of that you're welcome to take with you today. If you haven't read it, I'd like to recommend it. And I'd like to share a few of his thoughts along with others while looking at scripture and what happened on that day 2,000 years ago. The idea that Jesus never really died on the cross, it can be found in the Quran. So of course we worked with... Uh, Muslims overseas. And so Muslims contend that Jesus actually fled to India. In fact, to this day, there's a shrine that supposedly marks his real barrier place in Srinagar, Kashmir. So as the 19th century dawned, Karl Barth, Karl Venturini, and others, they tried to explain away the resurrection by suggesting that Jesus only fainted from exhaustion on the cross, or he'd been given a drug that made him appear to die and that he had to later be revived by cool, damp air in a tomb. This is called the swoon theory. So conspiracy theorists bolstered this hypothesis by pointing out that Jesus had been given some liquid on a sponge while on the cross, and that Pilate seemed surprised at how quickly Jesus had died. So there's been theories about this for a long time. And so what they said is, is that Jesus' reappearance, it wasn't a miraculous resurrection, but merely just a resuscitation, and his tomb was empty because he continued to live. So these are the theories that have abounded. And while scholars have disproved this so-called swoon theory, it keeps reoccurring in popular literature. You can find it through the 1900s. As recently as 1992, a little-known academic from Australia, Barbara Thering, she caused a stir by reviving the, the swoon theory in her book, Jesus and the Riddle of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was introduced with much fanfare by a well-respected U.S. publisher, and then it was dismissed by Emory University scholar Luke Timothy. Here's what he said. It's the purest poppycock, the product of fevered imagination rather than careful analysis. So he had some strong feelings about that book. <laughs> like an urban myth, the swoon theory continues to flourish. And you'll, you'll find conversations around it. But what does evidence really establish? That's what we want to look at today. What actually happened at the crucifixion? What was Jesus' cause of death? Is there any possible way he could have survived this ordeal? Before we answer those questions, let's go ahead and look at what happened to Jesus before he hung on the cross. So I'm going to take a look at Matthew chapter 27. You can read along with me today. I'm going to be in verses 24 through 26. So let's just look at what scripture has to say. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. 
As they went out, they found a man of, of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called, called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So this is uh, a bit of the scene of Jesus before he goes to the cross. So what does it mean that Jesus was scourged or flogged by Roman soldiers? Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. They usually consisted of 39 lashes, but frequently were a lot more, depending on the mood of the soldier applying the blows. The soldier would use a whip or braided leather, leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises, which would break open with further blows. And the whip had pieces of sharp bone as well. It would cut the flesh. The back would be so shredded that part of the skeletal structure was sometimes exposed by deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders to the back, to the bottom, to the back of the legs. It's horrible. Uh, we know that there was a lot of people who would never survive this beating, even before they were crucified. At the least, the victim would experience tremendous pain and go into shock because of the loss of large amounts of blood. And when the body goes into this kind of shock, a person's heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. A blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. And a person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the lost blood. We find from scripture that Jesus exhibited symptoms like these. Being in shock like this as someone else had to carry the cross because he couldn't. He was thirsty. And because of the terrible effects of this beating, there's no question that Jesus was already in serious to critical condition even before nails were pounded into his wrists and feet. So that's before the cross. What kind of shape was he in? But now what about the cross? So now I want to read from John 19. Let's again look at what scripture describes for us here. So, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull. So let me pause here. So we read a, the other passage that said that someone else carried the cross. Here it says that he carried his own cross. And so then the question sometimes comes in, well, which is it? And the answer is both. You got two different eyewitness accounts. So although Jesus may have started carrying the cross, it obviously got to the place where he could no longer, again, because of the shock that his body was in. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on the other side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the men, chief priests of the Jews, said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written I have written. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. When Jesus had finished or received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other two who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So once Jesus made it to Golgotha, he was nailed to the cross through his wrists and through his feet. Here's a picture of a Roman nail going through the ankle bone of someone crucified in the first century. 
I took this picture when we were in Israel the last time. So you can find this even today. Archaeology has shown scripture to be accurate that the way that crucifixion is described is what they have found archaeological evidence for today. A person is nailed to a crossbeam and then hung and nailed to a vertical beam. But what actually kills the individual on the cross? That's the question. And crucifixion is essentially an agonizingly slow death by asphyxiation. The reason is that the stress on the muscles and diaphragm put the chest into an inhaled position. So when they're nailed, they try to take a breath and they can let settle back down into it. And so the only way that they can relieve that tension as they're hanging on the cross is they have to pick themselves up with their feet. I can't imagine the torture. And after they manage to exhale, the person is able to relax down and get another breath in. But then they have to push themselves up to exhale again. And this would go on and on until complete exhaustion would take over and the person wouldn't be able to push up and breathe anymore. As the person slows down his breathing, he goes into what's called respiratory acidosis. The carbon dioxide in the blood is dissolved, causes the acidity of the blood to increase, and what happens is eventually they have an irregular heartbeat. It's understood that Jesus may have felt his heart beating this way when he says, it is finished. He knew what was coming. But even before Jesus died, the shock that his body was in it would have caused a sustained rapid heart rate that would have contributed to heart failure, resulting in the collection of fluid in the membrane around the heart in his lungs. And this is why blood and water flowed out of Jesus' side when the Roman soldier thrust his spear into his side. When you think about scripture 2,000 years ago, they would not have understood what was happening. It's medicine today that can describe, well, this is what was going on. So did Jesus die on the cross? Absolutely. There's too much archaeological and historical medical evidence to suggest otherwise. But you could ask, well, how could Roman soldiers have known Jesus was dead? They weren't exactly doctors. And and that's true. Roman soldiers don't go to medical school. But they were experts in killing people. It was their job. And they did it very well. They knew without a doubt the person was dead. Because if a prisoner somehow escaped, the responsible soldiers would be put to death themselves. Soldiers had a huge incentive to make absolutely sure that each and every victim was dead when he's removed from the cross. Jesus died on the cross that day. The question is, did Jesus die on the cross? Absolutely. And what does, so here's the whole point, and what does that mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? And the question of why did Jesus come and die is the question to be answered. We know he died, the evidence is there to support it, but why? So often we would say that Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sins. That's the usual answer. But the reality is, Jesus died for more than just that. John Piper in his book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, he shows us how meaningful the death of Jesus was. I want that to be our takeaway this morning. You can absolutely prove that Jesus died on the cross. You've got to start there. And then we'll look at the proof for the resurrection on Sunday. But we also need to understand why, how meaningful his death was. Now, I'm going to walk through these. Please don't bother to write them down. There's no human way to do that. If you want this list, just go download. The book is free online. John Piper, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. But what I want us to do, I want us to sit in these reasons. Just consider each one of these reasons this morning. There's a lot there for us. So here it is. Jesus died to absorb the wrath of God. Jesus died to please his heavenly father. It was the will of the father. Jesus died to learn obedience and be perfected. 
Jesus died to achieve his own resurrection from the dead. Jesus died to show the wealth of God's love and grace for sinners. Jesus died to show his own love for us. Jesus died to cancel the legal demands of the law against us. Jesus died to become a ransom for many. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. We've said that. Jesus died to provide the basis for our righteousness before God. To complete the obedience that becomes our righteousness. Jesus died to take away our condemnation. Jesus died to abolish circumcision and all rituals as the basis of salvation. Jesus died to bring us to faith and keep us faithful. Jesus died to make us holy, blameless, and perfect. Jesus died to give us a clear conscience. Jesus died to obtain for us all things that are good for us. Jesus died to heal us from moral and physical sickness. Jesus died to give eternal life to all who believe in him. Jesus died to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. Jesus died to bring us to God. Every one of these points you'll find in scripture. Jesus died so that we might belong to him. Jesus died to give us confident access to the holiest place. Jesus died to become for us the place where we meet God. Jesus died to bring the Old Testament priesthood to an end and become the eternal high priest. Jesus died to become a sympathetic and helpful priest. Jesus died to free us from the futility of our ancestry. Jesus died to free us from the slavery of sin. Jesus died that we might die to sin and live to be right with God and others. Jesus died so that we would die to the law and bear fruit for God. Jesus died to enable us to live for Christ and not ourselves. That's a work of the Lord. Jesus died to make his cross the ground for all our boasting. Jesus died to enable us to live by faith in him. He died to give marriage its deepest meaning. Jesus died to create a people passionate for good works. Jesus died to call us to follow his example of lowliness and costly love. He died to create a band of crucified followers. He died to free us from bondage to the fear of death. He died so that we would be with him immediately after death. I'm going to pause there for a moment. One of the uh, families in our church, uh, we had someone pass last weekend. And she was here, the wife was here on Sunday. I was surprised by that. And the first words out of her mouth, I'm so jealous. Because <laughs> Rick is home. Jesus died to secure our resurrection from the dead. Jesus died to disarm the rulers and authorities. Jesus died to unleash the power of God and the gospel. He died to destroy the hostility between races. We need that right now. Jesus died to ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus died to gather all his sheep from around the world. Jesus died to rescue us from final judgment. He died to gain his joy in ours. Jesus died so that we would be crowned with glory and honor. And Jesus died to show that the worst evil is meant by God for good. Jesus died on the cross for us.
when we look at that cross on a Sunday morning, may we consider all of its implications. That death was powerful. And that's why we gather to reflect on it today. So suffice it to say, it's a pretty big deal that Jesus came and died on the cross. And the question is, what will our response be to him? For his willingness to lay down his life for us. How will we respond to him? Have you responded to God's ultimate sacrifice? Are you in a right relationship with your creator? Are you living the crucified life that Jesus modeled for us? If not, I encourage you, choose to completely surrender your life to him. He's worth it. He's paid for it. And how will we respond? I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close in song this morning, and we're going to close by taking communion together. But before we do that, I'd like to ask, is there anybody that's here today? You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And, and we look at the cross today to say that he did die for you. So with every head bowed, you say, I want to follow Jesus today. I want to respond to the price that he paid for me. Simply raise your hand. I want to pray with you before we dismiss this afternoon. Anybody that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus today. I haven't made that decision. I want to do that today. I always want to provide opportunity. Jesus, we just thank you that you're willing to, to lay down your life for us. We thank you for the many, many implications that there are and your willingness to lay down your life. And so God, we just don't take it for granted today. May we consider the cross and may we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna come back and, and close in song. But what we're gonna do in taking communion today, Shelly and I will be in the middle. We'll have pastors on the other tables. Uh, but we're gonna invite you to be able to come down and receive those elements. But I wanna read from Matthew chapter 26. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take communion. And so as uh, they begin to sing, I'm just going to invite you to step out from where you're at and come down. Uh, we, we served at any table that you'd like. The, the gluten-free communion is in the middle table if you need that. So feel free to come. But what I'm going to do is we'll just give the elements to you. And I invite you to go back to your seat. And just thank Jesus for dying on the cross today. With thankful hearts, we can say thank you, Jesus, for, for your willingness to, willingness to lay down your life. And that's how we'll take communion today.